0: Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Galgo and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provacateur, and he is coming to you today from the Four Seasons Landscaping just outside Philadelphia. It's Benny Horowitz.
1: What's up, dude? How's it going? Just doing some weed whacking. Oh. <laughs> Hanging out. I just, I can't make sense of it. Can you? Make, what's your theory?
0: They must have thought that they were going to just call up a Four Seasons, and then they're how do you even make that mistake? Is is Rudy Giuliani uh, like, using the yellow pages and he just went uh, one?
1: Yeah. This is where, so quickly, that was my first thought, right? I'm like, oh, okay, they fucked up. There's no way. We've all called a hotel before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no way that an adult conscious human is calling that and somewhere along the process of booking, you're not sorting it out. A hotel needs all sorts of information mm. to sort this <laughs> out, like – You'd be getting documents, letterhead, all sorts of things. Like, back, this isn't like a like an impromptu thing. I, there's something else at work here. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they were like, we're going to book this place so liberals will laugh at us so we can call them elitists again because there's nothing wrong with a landscaping place. Like I think this might be all part of some weird cultural pitch because the idea... That they were that befuddled to make that mistake is horrifying. It doesn't even make sense, really, that they could have actually made that mistake. You know?
0: Like, if you were running a a business and you called up the wrong place, like, I think people would question your judgment to run the business, let alone the whole country. I mean, it's (laughs) so insane to me how, like, and this landscaping place wasn't even in, like, the city, right?
1: Oh, it was out by the airport. Yeah. I mean, that's that's absolutely. That's not a yeah. nice part of Philly either. No, but I don't
0: know. That's like, yeah. Oh man,
1: that's, that's that section between the stadiums and the airport. That is. I don't the, know what happens. That's where the dirty, the dirty part of Philadelphia happens.
0: That is literally the. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. A part of Philadelphia, right?
1: Yeah, or Rocky One. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like when he still lived in the hood.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, but real quick before we get into the whole show, Benny, we have a new president. We thought that this was coming, and you know. Saturday was a great day for a lot of people, but the divide is still definitely there.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, even my wife's been asking me this week. She's like, why are you so calm about all this? And it's because I'm not, I'm not particularly happy. You know, there's, there's nothing about this that makes me joyous because I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't hold a president in the same light as anyone. Like, just like the guy who was there, I didn't hire him. I tried to get him fired. (laughs) And now somebody else I tried to hire is there. Maybe, you know, by the end of this, like whatever happens. So so it's almost like I reserve my excitement until there's like some actual tangible change that a person can see. And that isn't going to happen for a long time. And there's still a long uh, couple months of potential messiness here that is kind of making me reserve my my joy or my you know celebration i also sort of resent the fact in general you know philosophically moving through what we're moving through that that all this like began and ended with donald trump right you know like like there is some weird sensationalism in, in america where we always like put these people on top and make it you know The things that led to Donald Trump are clear, well written, well documented. You can still see it. Yeah. And still there and still going to be there. Like the second he leaves and they potentially more fortified and solid than it has been in a long time. Mm. So uh, cultural movements don't happen overnight. You know, like we've been, you know, Trumpism is sort of a long. Uh, tail end of post nine eleven Fox News, neoliberal like military state kind of shit. You yeah. know, like twenty years later, this is the effects of it. So, I think we're we're still in like a toppling domino, and I'm not really ready to just like throw up my flag and just be like stoked. Now there's someone sitting in a seat that I demand a lot of shit out of.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, and and it's like I don't. The one thing that really separates, I guess, well, I mean, there's a lot that separates it. But, like, the thing you're not going to see is people walking around the streets with fucking Biden hats. Yeah. And, like, you know, putting that shit all over their car and just, like, you know, getting behind this guy like he's uh, the the end-all, be-all of everything. Mm. You know? Like, you're going to hire someone. And we're going to see how they do. And a lot of people will, will wind up critical of them. And, and and I probably will, too, at some point. So it's still going. It's all going. I'm semi relieved that there are a lot of sensible people out there and a lot of people more aligned with me than the other side. And that feels good and empowering. Uh, I thought a lot more potentially like violent and vile shit might've happened by now. And it hasn't. Um, which, you know, maybe harkens back to what I was talking about last week, which is, uh, the idea that we're on the precipice of civil war is really good for our corporate overlords, you know? (laughs) And, (laughs) and I think, you know, as you see something play out, before your own eyes and people say these crazy things, but you know, I haven't a couple people got caught doing some crazy shit that happens all the time. But this idea that like the civil war is gonna start in the streets seems like it's not gonna happen. You know, or not yet at least. Yeah. Uh, and and I if you asked me a month or two ago, I would have told you this last week probably could have been a lot like bloodier and more devastating than it was. Mm. You know? So I'm trying to stay tempered and uh, trying to stay positive, but just like keep focused, you know, and keep yeah. the eyes on the prize, sort of.
0: The, the ideological back and forth, if you will, has really been going on ever since the end of the Civil War. I mean, this goes back almost 200 years yeah. to varying de- degrees throughout the whole whole thing. And you know, sure. just like with everything we talk about you know we talk about. A lot of basketball, a lot of sports, but a lot of other things. There are, are ebbs and flows to everything in history. And I think this is just, you know, another swing of the pendulum. I think I think a lot of people, and clearly in, they were in that 70 million range that voted for this guy for a, a second time, were uncomfortable with eight years of Barack Obama and whatever they perceived that to be. Now, I know that there were some elements of that presidency that even Obama would have wanted to go another way. That uh, is a big conservative talking point. But at least right now, by 4 million people, give or take value decency. And sometimes in an election, that's
1: all you need. I think the one one caveat to all this that, uh, you know, even I'm I'm Jewish, basically two white guys got to consider when they're having this conversation is, It's easy for someone who's not a person of color, not an immigrant, not somebody who's uh, relying on government subsidies, disabled, you know, like any number of things where Trump policies directly affected their lives Mm -hmm. probably a lot more than yours or I. Right. Um, And that's where I think we need to still be like the side of empathy. Right. Which is just because... It didn't affect me as much. I see what it's doing to other people and still decide to stay on that side. Yeah. So I think that's always an important caveat for two people in our position to mm. consider while while we're having this conversation.
0: And just on a way lighter note, the really cool thing about this election for me was the fact that for the first time in my lifetime, and maybe for the first time in yeah, for, for the first time in this country in sixty years got to elect an Irish Catholic to the highest office in the land. Honestly, didn't think that that would happen because I know people have mixed feelings about JFK. But, yeah, um, yeah just to have that opportunity, you know, he gets elected, Pretty you hear the bagpipes, Jameson, all that stuff. So
1: Valentine's on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Valentine's <laughs> on me. I can't say, it, like, uh, you know, the night Biden made his speech and at the end you know, there's this family up there and Kamala Harris's family and his family. And I'm like, this just looks like a normal, like group of people. Mm. It just looks like a group of people like I sort of know. Yeah. And I've been around before in my life. And when I see like Trump and his family on stage, I see like golden lions. And, I see like this weird, like unattainable class of people that I've like never been a part of and kind of freak me out in general. <laughs> Um, so it was a plastic just, surgery, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, just dude, just on a quick eye test. If you took one stage to the other stage, I'd be like, I want to go to that stage because this stage just scares me a little. <laughs> I don't know people like that, man. I'm sorry, yeah. I wasn't oh. raised in like golden towers. Like, I don't know people who look like that. Oh. They're crazy.
0: Well, speaking of one stage to the other, let's get into this day in music history. Doo, 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 doo.
1: To this day, in 1979, Rapper's Delight oh, by the Sugar Hill Gang becomes the first rap song to enter the Billboard Top 100 charts, in, uh, entering in number 84, all the way in 1979. I always forget that uh, early hip-hop cracked the late 70s, which is cool. Yeah. Now, the story is awesome, though. So a woman named Sylvia Robinson was an R&B singer. She had a hit record in 1956 with Love is Strange. And she owned a New Jersey label, hmm. Sugar Hill Records. She took notice of all like the New York City black parties, the crews of rappers, big crowds that were loving it. So she set out to make a rap re- to make a rap record that was suitable for radio. Hmm. So she went ahead and she chose "Good Times" by Chic as the anchor of the song, uh, sampling the disco beat, and then she hired a 17-year-old kid named Chip Sheeran who was paid $70 to play the bass loop for 15 minutes straight <laughs> over the chic track. And then she had to track and she had to find rappers. And instead of finding an established crew, she created one with help from her 18 year old son hmm. who found three guys in Englewood, New Jersey, who hmm. could rap. Michael Wonder Mike Wright, Henry Big Bank Hank Jackson, and Guy Master G O'Brien. And they were dubbed the Shiver Hill Gang. They sent the rhyme over the track. It got released that September 79 as a 15-minute club single. Uh, made its way around the city. It got cut down to a five-minute seven-inch. And on this day in 79, crack the top 100. Wow. It's Pretty punk rock. Yeah. You know, that's like one of those classic, like, I hear it. I want to make my own. I'm going to use people I know my own money to like set this thing and totally changed history. So respect to Sylvia Robinson. What a that. monumental idea. And maybe a name you don't hear much in like, or I haven't heard much in the history of hip hop. And it seems like she had a uh, pretty big part to play. She now one good. of the funny things about this, sorry, yeah, no. uh, is is one of the first club goers to hear the song early on was Nile Rodgers mm. of Chic, who quickly threatened the lawsuit. <laughs> uh but right, luckily, him and his co-writer Bernard Edwards, they cut a deal making them co-authors of Rapper's Delight so they could earn royalties. <laughs> um, so instead of going to a lawsuit, apparently, uh, <laughs> this woman Sylvia and Niall Rogers like sat down and figured something out where they cut the song up to each other. So even respect there for finding a communal way to solve the problem early on, you know.
0: How about that? She's got to be in the New Jersey Hall
1: of Fame, right? I mean, I'm talking, like, the Mount Rushmore. This yeah. is important.
0: Yeah, no, no, I know. You know,
1: like, like Rapper's Delight is important. Yeah. And now to know that a old-school Jersey woman and three North Jersey kids <laughs> from Englewood are literally, like, the creators of this track from the ground up, like, I'm fucking stoked. This is another flag in a New Jersey... Uh, excellence
0: and i'm always wondering like who the next new jersey people are that like next mm. generation and honestly even in like pop music like i mean new jersey and like the punk scene it's second to none but even on like the pop scene like you have like your like oh, Joey booths you have your halseys who by the way jonas have- brothers Oh, okay at some point at some <laughs> point we got to get in i'm surprised we missed this on this in- in- entire podcast Halsey's basketball fandom is something we gotta talk about at some point. Oh yeah? Okay. She has a basketball Twitter account where she trolls everybody and it's right up our alley. Ooh, fun. And one Halsey. But you gotta get her. Exactly I've
1: You want to get her on the program? Benny I'll the, make a
0: call. The, the amount of emails I've sent to managers trying to have her talk basketball on a variety of different platforms and heard nothing back because apparently Holt is a big star now. Anyway, you draw my
1: name? Oh. You draw my name yet?
0: <laughs> I'm sure she's a huge Gaslight Anthem fan. I'm sure she was a big Warp Tour girl back in the day.
1: Listen, Danny, my name carries weight I know. universally. I know. You don't even have, you know. H-
0: hence where we have the, the tune-up, you know.
1: All you gotta do is say Ben Harowitz. You'll think I'm that uh, the guy who wrote that that book about getting rich. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Funny story. Back when we first started doing this, I listened to a podcast with Brian Koppelman, you know, the guy from from Ben. Yeah, sure, and- sure. It was with that Ben Horowitz. And I was like, ah. wait a minute. Get the fu-. like, Like, you know that. But no, so that's funny. This <laughs> is very funny. But uh, anyway, my This Day in Music History. On this day in 1973, Elton John's "Yellow Goodbye Yellow Brick Road started its eight-week run at number one in the US. Ah. I always mess up the eight-week run because it's too much. Anyway. Eight
1: week run number one.
0: <laughs> By the way, OK, so this album. Had a bunch of working titles. Let me see what to think of these. One of the working titles was "Vodka and Tonics and Silent Movies." Is that better than "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road"? No. Okay. The no, next working title. Uh, working title. Talking Pictures.
1: No. No. Not better. Cool. Not better.
0: All right. It's his best overall. Uh, it, it's his best-selling studio album with 15 million copies sold. Um, on, on this record, uh, the Marilyn Monroe tribute, and then later Princess Die tribute, Candle in the Wind. But also, you know, the ones that we all love on this podcast, especially Benny and the Jets, Saturday Nights Are Right for Fighting, and the title track, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Great record. All of that history started this day in the U.S.
1: in 1973. Love that. Elton, did you like that? I didn't like the movie. I
0: thought, I thought the movie was interesting. I wasn't expecting it to be like a musical, but honestly yeah. knowing the, how Elton John has like kind of made that venture. What was a dancing movie that he did? That was on Broadway for a very long time. With like What
1: was that like, dancing movie? No,
0: it, it was like this like modern West Side story that he like tried to do. It was like a dancing movie.
1: Not sure. I'm not sure Oh man. It was, Oh, <laughs> I didn't follow it. Didn't I'm going to
0: remember this. Like, right. it was like mid-2000s. But and
1: we uh, need a producer to come in on yeah, the mic. exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's normally what I do, getting in, in the talents here, because I have Google and a lot less transparent.
1: Anyway. See, inside tip, folks. This is why pros sound so pro. They have some <laughs> nerd in their earpiece exactly. telling them what to say. And
0: I'm usually that nerd, but I, I, I can't <laughs> get in my own ear. That would be, a, I'm pretty sure that's a disease.
1: Yeah, that's strange.
0: (laughs) All right, Benny, we're going to get started on a somber note this week. Over the weekend on Sunday, early afternoon, Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek passed away at the age of 80. In America, I don't think there's been a greater impact, uh, at least on the television side of things culturally, Then game shows, I mean, they're syndicated in all these different countries. How many times do you hear people talk about uh, that that they learn English by either watching Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy? Um, But Jeopardy plays a very interesting role in the history of game shows. You know, there are all these quiz shows uh, before Jeopardy started in New York City. And there was a lot of scandal, a lot of cheating. It's uh, documented in the film... Quiz show, show. great movie, great movie. (laughs) Great movie. Um, Totoro. Exactly. Huge, huge Totoro performance. I think if you would ask anybody today in 2020 who's synonymous with game show, they would tell you that it's Alex Trebek. The calming role that he played in making Jeopardy not so much a primetime venture, but the most digestible form of TV you can have, uh, he'll be hugely missed. Benny, what's your favorite, or do you have any favorite Alex Trebek memories?
1: I mean, I, I was kind of moved by what I heard that, what, was Bert Bert Thacker? Mm. I, I don't know exactly. But, you know, one of the last guys who won yeah. who said that he would sit on his grandfather's lap and watch Jeopardy and that's how he learned English and he was very touched. That actually rung with me because I watched a lot of Jeopardy with my mom. <laughs> and it was like just a nightly thing that we both enjoyed and I used to she was really good and we used to break her balls like, Hey, you should go on jeopardy. You're really good at it. And she'd be like, no, I would fold under the pressure, (laughs) you know? Um, but I have a lot of like just fond memories. It's like one of those, um, I think you just mentioned it, the calming aspect of it. It's one of those like through lines, you know, like that's just always there Yeah. that it becomes like almost like just a part of everything, you know, and the character of what you're doing and all those things so i I think that's the coolest part about jeopardy was the fact that like this was just such a calm consistent cool character over so many decades just this like perfectly honed in personality and you really felt like alex trebek was just being alex trebek when he was up there like i don't think there was like an at home alex trebek that was like super mad or like it didn't feel like in any way you know so uh, yeah, in that way, you know, it's just like a huge part of your, your past and present that, that's just gone. Um, I found one thing in his Wikipedia I thought was funny, to give a little light to this. Because of how, like, think about another person who hosts a game show, who not only you know who their name is, but where you'll read a paragraph like this, okay? In late 2001, during Jeopardy's 18th season... Trebek shaved the mustache that he had worn for over 30 years. He wore a fake mustache for the first half of April 1st, 2008, as an April Fool's joke. In summer 14, Trebek regrew the mustache for the 31st season, only to shave it off again a month into the season. Trebek grew out a full beard at the beginning of the 2018 (laughs) season, shaving it down to a goatee for the second episode and a mustache by the second week, and the next day was clean shaven again. This is an actual paragraph someone put together, going over 30 years of Alex Trebek's facial hair. You that's know? gonna be that's...
0: when they do the Benny Horowitz Wikipedia, right? That's, that's it's, it's a crucial part,
1: pre and post mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's a big one now, actually. I guess. Oh,
0: <laughs> Benny, just kind of wrapping up on this subject. uh There's a couple of rumors of next hosts for this. And honestly, I like very few of them. So I, I just want a quick rapid fire. Yeah, what's
1: the rumor mill saying? Okay. All
0: right. George Stepanopoulos. Good morning, America.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. Don't see it.
0: Betty White.
1: No. Yeah. Cute, I, but no. Yeah, cute, exactly. But no. Exactly. All
0: right. This one I absolutely detest. That Ken Jennings guy.
1: Don't know who it is. He's Ken, the guy Ken that Ken
0: won Ken. all of that money. You know, he's like.
1: Oh, uh, it- oh, no. No, he yeah. had a terrible yeah. personality. No. a
0: terrible personality, know-it-all. Yeah. No. Alex yeah. Trebek, no complete opposite. No, thank yeah. you. All right. No, thanks. Uh, then we have Alex Faust, who is the LA Kings hockey announcer.
1: I mean, that's kind of where I'm leaning here. Because you got to find someone like how Trebek was found, yeah. you know? And he was like a – he was a broadcaster for, like, Canadian radio <laughs> and Canadian TV, like – I think you need you need a pro. Yeah. You need a seasoned pro. Oh. Someone who's not scared of the camera, who's got their look, who's got their voice, who knows who they are. You need someone like that.
0: I'm just going to throw this name in here because he's got a lot of time on his hands now, now that he's retired. Doc Emmerich, Jeopardy.
1: Wow. Oh, that
0: could be fun. That could be fun. That could be fun. All right. I like that. More names. Uh, CNN legal analyst Laura Coates.
1: Okay interesting
0: I'm not too big on it but yeah so those are just some of the names um honestly you know what and I was thinking of, about this when I, I heard the news the next host of Jeopardy so they've had they have a couple guys on their on their clue crew right that like write the clues and sometimes mm. do like the like the visual ones that have been reading these clues for a while and are just calming sure. people the audience already knows who they are. Just,
1: just promote them. Promote from within. I can see that in-house. Yeah,
0: exactly. I like it. Nobody I like with it. a huge personality but can also is, is very dry. I think that yeah, that's what you need to do. Like, we can't have a real Drew Carey Price is Right situation.
1: No, 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 no. So Yeah, you need that like dry kind of sardonic thing. The next person, that's where I always wonder. It's like, do you want the next person to just be Alex Trebek and do their best version of it? Or do you want someone to kind of bring their own personality, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, if they're looking for a host, you know, there's a co-host of the tune up that I'm sure would 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 love to just read questions <laughs> and low-key dig people, but be super respectful of the intellect there. So I know it's a bad idea, which means that's why it's time for this week's Dallas Slice Take.
1: You know what I'm not surprised I haven't seen yet? You ever go to, like, the cafeteria of a college and there's those revolving machines with, mm. like, you know, a tuna sandwich and a yogurt, and, like a banana, and, like weird things going around the circle? Yeah. Like, why have you not seen those pop up yet in the COVID era mm. where, like, I feel like everybody, like, you know, you need to trim costs, right? Yeah. So wouldn't you be... uh Wouldn't it be helpful to you to have essentially a robotic server, everything being done behind the scenes, no contact with people whatsoever, and you just put one of these big circular machines in the front of your storefront and let people do their own work, and then you're out of it altogether. So I would like to see more big circular food vending machines around. I think it'll help.
0: Wasn't that, like, uh like the old food emporiums back in the day were, like, these, like, grocery stores that were, like, vending machines, right? I, like, remember oh, watching. Oh, yeah, 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 kind
1: of. Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. Oh, man. Well, our Dollar Slice takes this week are kind of adjacent-related, if you will.
1: COVID-adjacent?
0: COVID-adjacent. Why is it that we have not adopted the bank teller tubes for more things, especially in the COVID era? Like, why is it that we just haven't built a infrastructure? Now, this technology has been around a long time. Why don't we have tubes Forever. that go to people's house? that That is contactless delivery at, at its finest. I think it would take a lot of people uh, that are delivering, and it would put them out of harm's way. Um, so every house should just have a little thing that you could get your packages through, and it goes through the bank teller chute.
1: I mean... I spent a lot of time as a kid convincing my mom to go to the bank just so I could throw the thing into the fucking bank chute. So I do think it's a good idea. The thing I wonder is, like, go in panels, say, a hundred bank tellers from the 1980s and ask them about the chutes and how often they broke. Mm. And I think that's the reason you may not see the bank air shoot around too much is because often you'd go to the drive-thru and it wouldn't be working. So I think there's a uh, a reason you've seen them go away. So the idea of having home bank shoots managed by normal people, uh, it could be a burgeoning industry in um, – Installation and repair of home bank shoots. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but I don't know if it's the if it's gonna. That, I feel like there might be. Doesn't Tesla have something with like magnets or something you yeah, could use? Yeah,
0: they're trying to yeah. do that, like the Richard Branson thing, like the bullet train. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I'll have bullet train going right into my house. have to do that,
0: but yeah. that's gonna be way too expensive. I think the average person would rather want this than an Amazon delivery person. Oh man, the let me tell you this during the pandemic these amazon delivery people are out of control because you've been here you know the buzzer in here it's the most obnoxious thing i think it's gone off a couple times when when we've been doing the pod all hours of the day and night this thing is going off and i'm (laughs) sick of it um people need to stop getting amazon deliveries or at least hit the right the right buzzer because it's out of control
1: so i put like one of those obnoxious like scary notes on your buzzer (laughs) Like only I should, for this I apartment, only
0: keep out. Well, that and yeah. there's been a bunch of open houses downstairs, and people have been buzzing to get in and they've been buzzing the wrong one. So, I've uh, I'm like, um, you know, the episode of, of Seinfeld where Jerry stays at like Kramer's apartment and there's like the red, uh, red fried chicken lights. Yeah, That's what yeah, it's yeah. been, except with noise. It's been crazy, uh, terrible. <laughs> All right, second half of the podcast, and it, it is time to get into the National Basketball Association. Um, you thought there wasn't going to be any NBA news for this particular podcast, and you've been wrong. We There's officially a have a date for NBA free agency. Woo-hoo! On Monday night, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that the NBA and the MBA PA have reached a agreement on an amendment to the CBA. Uh, included in that agreement, free, it says free agency will begin at 6 p.m. on November 20th with signings allowed to sign at 12.01 p.m. afternoon on November 22nd. This sounds like a made-for-TV event the week of Thanksgiving. Benny, what's your overall take? Um, It's going to be very, very quick this year, kind of rapid fire, not long after the draft. I think it's going to be an exciting week in the NBA in a time when it would normally be very boring.
1: Oh, I'm on like the edge of my seat. (laughs) I love the way this plays out. At, like all of a sudden you're going to have the draft next Wednesday, the 18, all the pre-draft hullabaloo that's going to happen. And then literally like a frantic 36 hour period where people are going to be making the most insane predictions possible. And then boom, the second it hits free agency, I think you're going to see a lot of movement like right off the bat. People are just prime. Like think about all these teams that haven't made a move all these guys like their whole existence is to like move and shake and get things done and make deals and do all this. They haven't done shit in like in like nine months or a year. I think the last trade uh, of any significance was uh, Andre Drummond and like Marcus Morris, like what, you know, which is feels ancient. So uh, I think it's going to be a super exciting week. Um, I'm intrigued by some of the stuff in the CBA that they worked out. Uh, The salary cap staying the same won't change much, but they did put something in that I found interesting. The most interesting part of the CBA would be the attempt they're doing to ease the tax burdens of teams in the luxury tax, where they'll reduce the bill at the end of 2021 related to the league's progress. So I think that's a sign from the NBA to teams – that like don't underspend, don't worry about it. Like we'll give you a little bit of a cushion for a couple years until we imagine we'll be back up. So I think it's basically an indication of the league saying, Hey, keep building your super teams, keep giving out maxes. Don't worry about it because we're going to hook you up for a little while (laughs) until it gets back to normal. (laughs) So that's kind of an interesting thing from the league. And uh Yeah. You want to hear my hot take?
0: Yeah. Got a hot yeah, take.
1: Of course. Okay? We're going into the draft. Very interesting draft, as we've talked about, where, you know, I've been saying for months, and I stick with it, if you don't draft LaMelo Ball, number one, in this draft, you're a fool.
0: Oh, that's wrong.
1: It's just <laughs> like, what are you drafting for? Are you drafting for upside are you drafting for safety? And my second hot take of this draft is James Wiseman – high bust potential. Mm. I really don't see it. I, I think like the teams that are interested in a James Wiseman right now can't use James Wiseman right now. And if you're a Golden State and you out of nowhere have this really, really high pick to mix with a quality team, you have no time to be patient. You know, this is a win now team and you can't take a guy who's played three collegiate games, showed you that he can't defend the pick and roll really quick and just throw him into that team with with a Draymond green. We'll just eat him alive, you know. Um, So I think because of his skill set and body and everything that he's bringing, I think he has a high potential to be a bust. And I think a lot of people are seeing it. So this idea that um, a Golden State is going to, let's say, for instance, like Detroit offers them, you know, uh, Luke Kennard and (laughs) that great forward's name who I can't pronounce from Florida State. And, you know, one pick for the number two. And Golden State knows they're not going to get LaMelo or they're not interested in Edwards. Like, why don't they take that deal? They might, you know. Um, I I heard Zach Lowe talking about that, where it's like, if, if you're not high on any of these guys and you see all this value between five to 10, then you might as well get something. So I think you're going to see a situation like that because of the people in the middle of this draft coming up, um, potentially stronger than the people in the top of the draft. There's too many question marks for everybody at the top.
0: I know that you're very high on LaMelo Ball but that kid is going to be a, a defensive liability for 5 years. His shooting is eh. Hit, here here's you, why. Here you're here's really the one thing about passing. Contest. How is this not Lonzo Ball all over again?
1: Because he's 6 foot 7 true point guard. So that's why. So you can hide defensive vulnerabilities when you're oversized at a position a lot easier. Like you're not plugging in Trey Young here right. who can just get like beat up You know, like he's still going to have a size advantage over the bulk of his competitors. So even though I agree with you, all the defensive concerns about him and what he can do defensively and the way people will take him off the ball, sure, you're going to see it. But I think the reason it's a little overhyped is because of that. Because he's going to be able to maybe – he can rebound. He can give you some other things that a guy at a certain size can't. So – that's where I think he's turning into like kind of a no brainer number one where it's Mm. like, what do you like? Anthony Edwards, interesting player. Like he's cool. He's got that NBA body. You're like, you could see this guy being good, but can you see him being great?
0: And and if there's all
1: all these question marks around James Wiseman, I think it makes ball just like, all right, it's the number one pick. You got to swing, you know? Yeah.
0: Like I've said, I really like Anthony Edwards. I think that he's got good potential Tom Crean knows how to how to get guys ready for the NBA. I mean, we've seen it time and time again, produce stars in the NBA. So, so I think yeah. going from having him as a college coach, I think sometimes, you know, we've talked about this before too, all it takes is being in a good system and finding a better system in the entire NBA and better situation than going to Golden State. Uh, he doesn't have to be the guy to lead the team. Right away, which I think is uh, the interesting thing that Charlotte's looking at in this draft. They're looking for a guy that's going to be the face of the franchise, which is why I could see Charlotte maybe trying to trade up to get Wiseman. I know that you're not very high on him, but I've, I've definitely heard that. But, no, I yeah. think Edwards to Golden State, I think that that's, a, that's something that you could lock in. I don't think that, that all of the speculation is like a pre-draft play by the Warriors to try to increase the value there. Another guy that a lot of people... Are sleeping on when it comes to maybe the best pros in this draft. And I said it last week Obi Toppin. I think that he could be, he's he, hes a guy that could yeah. come into, especially a good situation, and be a difference maker. Now, before, okay, so draft cover, but I want to get into free agency because there, honestly, people have are, are kind of jumping over this free agency class, but there's some good names out here. I'm going to be really interested to see what kind, what how teams value the center market after what we saw in the bubble. Some names that I'm really interested in in, in this free agency that's going to go very quick. Uh, I know that Gordon Hayward has a player option. He'll probably pick it up to stay in Boston, but uh, that's a very easy trade candidate. Uh, that experiment thus far has not worked out. I feel like a guy like Paul Millsap could be a, a, a interesting pickup for a contending team. Lots of player options, but the thing that I'm really interested in, like we said, the whole bubble, the bigs are back. So a guy like Huston Whiteside, where if you could get past his antics, not sure that he's a, a, a good guy for a contending team, but I think he could yeah, go somewhere so. and make a, a lot of money. Serge Ibaka is a unrestricted free agent. Yeah, he's a lot interesting of interesting a, a, a lot of bigs here, Um, so... Who do you like in this free agency class and who are you a a little skeptical on?
1: Well, first off, Hassan Whiteside is just out in general for me because, like, you know, I I spent long enough being fooled by stats. That guy just doesn't help teams win. Yeah. Uh, It's well known throughout the league. And I think you'll see someone take a flyer on him now, but I don't think you're seeing anyone make a real investment into him. I think the. Uh, the, the contending teams, the people you got to look out for are the one-year bubble contracts from Gallinari and from Serge Ibaka. I mm. could see Serge Ibaka turning into one of those, like, 35-year-old David West types, yeah. you know what I mean, who, who knows how to – he's already came off the bench. Uh, he knows how to play a role. He can stretch. He's, you know, wouldn't a contending team – pay upwards of $15-20 for one season of Serge Ibaka mm. to try to contend I think that could happen and I think the same thing could easily happen with Gallinari and I think as far as long-term deal goes it's guards are the name of the game right now so it's up to Fred Van Vliet if he wants to stick around and take a smaller deal with Toronto or go attempt to be the man in like Atlanta or Detroit or New York and take a big multi-year deal there uh joe harris if you ask me brooklyn is insane if they don't sign him like if there's anything the last few years have taught us it's the value of a player like joe harris on any contending team need that guy joe play some defense put him anywhere in the court any system and he can hit a three knock down anytime you need it that guy is really valuable in the league right now and i think for that same reason is why you're going to see bogdanovich get a big multi-year deal. And also Davis Bertans is going to get a big multi-year deal. I could see him getting upwards of like three years, 45 million, maybe even higher. Mm. Um, so I think that's the name of the game right now is these uh, kind of, you know, wing three point stretch. Like it, it's so important in today's NBA to just have one of these guys, even just on the floor. You know what I mean? Like even just having Davis Bertans sitting on the floor, twenty-seven feet away from the basket, opens up the floor because you got to have somebody out there who's not a guard to yeah. cover him. So uh, I would hate to see Joe Harris leave. I think he's like a cog to this puzzle, and I, I think he would fit perfectly in with the new pieces. Um, he's also a champion. People forget, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think those are the biggest. Biggest names we're seeing so far, and who we'll see uh, drop first and kind of dictate the whole market. You know who I think this is my flyer for next year. Yeah, that's going to make a big difference somewhere. Is Christian Wood? Mm. I don't know if you watched that kid play towards the end of last season. I've he he showed a lot of stuff, Um, and I think he's he's got the potential to be a real like I don't know about an all star, but a starter quality three, four player in the league who can block some shots and do a lot of things. So I think you'll be seeing him getting a, an interesting sneaky deal, like a four years, 30 million to like the Spurs or like someone like that. But I think he's going to get a good deal and become a cog somewhere as well.
0: Yeah, no, he's quality, but if he accept, accepts a, a a six-man role, I think that that would probably be his perfect career spot for him to be able to come in, contribute, play those Minutes when the starters go out near the end end of the first quarter. Maybe try to build a lead. I think that's the role he's kind of destined for in this league.
1: I think he's got a little more upside than that. Oh, okay. Do. All
0: right. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Right, you can follow us at the TuneUp HQ on Twitter and Instagram. We've been putting our videos up there. TuneUp on Twitch. If you want to follow the big man, you can follow him at Benny Horowitz. One number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Benny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else?
1: When are we gonna get an answer? On when's this game called?
0: Oh, the e- election or when are we gonna
1: have a president? Oh, do we I- have one?
0: I thought you were saying when are we going to get the official, official start date of the NBA?
1: Oh, no. (laughs) Let's talk about the real thing. All right. I love everybody. Everybody, love everybody. Have a good week. Don't get down.
0: Be up with the tune up. See you later.